Welcome to the Hub Crawl, a roundtable podcast discussing all things Disney. I'm Eric. And I'm Tang. Each episode, we invite two guests to bring a question and talk about one of our favorite things, Disney. This week, we want to welcome Ryan. Ryan once sported the seventh place beard in the world. He's the unofficial creator of the Ears Up Walkabout and co-host of a yet-to-be-announced podcast on the Ears Up Network. Ryan is also the proud owner of a cameo from Mr. Gibbs himself that he won as part of the Supreme Resort's February Madness bracket competition. Ryan, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks, Eric. I'm glad to be here. And also returning for his second appearance is David. David is also a winner of the Supreme Resort podcast, Starch Madness Disney Food Bracket, and will also be co-hosting a future podcast with Ryan. This is very interesting going on here. (laughs) He's a frequent Disneyland guest, and he still hasn't visited Walt Disney World since the last time he was on. His facial hair remains unranked. (laughs) Welcome, David. Thanks for having me back. I feel like I'm a little out of it. Everybody else has facial hair. I don't. For those of you listening, Eric and uh, Ryan and David all have beards. I do not. Hmm. Oh, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) That's all right. Donate some. (laughs) We were talking about before the show how I I just can't do longer facial hair. It just started. I can't get past that point of irritation to when it would probably be fine. So, but I will say Ryan's beard is amazing, and I can understand why it was the seventh place. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well, thank you all for joining us. Let's start off with our first question from Eric. All right, we're going to kick off some positivity this week. What do you think is Disney's biggest success of the last 10 years? Let's start out with Ryan's opinion. So this this was definitely a, a tough question, and not not for lack of of options, right? Um, I think genuinely the the last ten years have been a largely successful one. You know, recent days may make us forget that, but largely successful for the Disney company. So for me, one of the things that I I looked at was you know ignoring the negativity around a thing what was the most popular or what was the most successful so i looked at the the additions to the domestic parks stretching the 10-year timeline a little bit back to the beginning of 2012 right we're we're nearly at the end of 2022 so had to get a little fuzzy there but (laughs) um you have two galaxies edges being introduced no they're not what we were promised but they're still amazing you have an Avengers campus being introduced. You have the Pixar Pier re-theme, which I really, really enjoy. You have Cars Land being introduced. On the East Coast, you have the additions of Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, Remy's uh, Ratatouille Adventure, uh, Toy Story Land, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, and Avatar. Um, it, it, honestly, the the new stuff in the parks over the last uh, last 10 years has been really, really awesome, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. I have to agree with you. You know, we always, I, I find myself remembering this. So I went the first time to Disney World in 2016. I went again in 2020 um, because Disneyland was closed. And in 2020, since 2020, Ratatouille has opened, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind has opened, Tron will be opening soon. And I'm just thinking, wow, I don't, you know, I don't, it never, it, sometimes it feels like Disney isn't building new stuff. But you just listed a laundry list of giant projects that they've built, and we really don't think about or give credit for. So uh, that's a good point. Yeah, really good. I will say, I will say, Disney Plus, one hundred percent. I know that it's hemorrhaging money at the moment. I know that the market thinks that it's uh, bad, but I think it overall it is a great success from a streaming service standpoint. You know, it it went from I think right now it's like number 
three or something like that in, in rankings of like uh, subscriber counts and stuff like that. I mean, Netflix has been around for 20 something years as a streaming service and Disney's slowly kind of getting up there and catching up with them. Disney Plus has passed all these other streaming services that have been around. Obviously, they're a little more niche. You know, you've got, you know, the HBO Max situation. You've got Paramount Plus and, you know, all the all these different Discovery Plus, all these pluses that they're around. But Disney's done a really good job. Of course, a lot of that is to is is because of the, their back catalog that they have, of course. You know, the Michael Eisner famously, you know, did the Disney vault, you know, things would come out every seven years or whatever. And now with Disney Plus, it's just there. So I think that Disney Plus is the biggest success of the last 10 years. And I know that right now, financially, it does not look like a success because they're just throwing money at it, which is yet to be seen if Bob Iger cuts back on that or not. But I think we got some really great stuff. I think we've learned that Star Wars does really great in long form stories with like episodic instead of movies. I think that's really where it's going to shine and where it has been shining. You know, we've got things like some of the Marvel series and stuff on there, which some are better than others. But the fact that they were able to try all of these things and Disney Plus is definitely one of those services, you know, I I may or may not <clears throat> pirate some things, but I pay for Disney Plus because I believe in it and I think that it uh, has a really great catalog. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And it's really sticky and people people don't really want to cancel it because of all the purchases that Disney has made over the last you know 20 years of Marvel and Lucasfilm and Pixar, all of that's on there. What do you think, David? Well, it's interesting. It, it, my uh, my choice is kind of tied to a little bit what uh, what you two said. I'm going to go back to 2012 when Disney acquired a little startup company by the name of Lucasfilm, which owned Star Wars, which owned Indiana Jones properties, bought it for what now seems to be a bargain at four point. Uh, a little over $4 billion. And then from there, like, like Ryan said, they began construction of the, the star Wars theme land in Disneyland and in Walt Disney world, Hollywood studios in 2016 launched in, I think it was 2019. And then just uh, cranked out a series of, of movies, force awakens, rogue one, last Jedi solo uh, rise of Skywalker. <laughs> but really, I think the really big their their best work has been on the the Disney Plus Star Wars content. Um, the you've got the animated stuff. They did Rebels. They did Bad Batch, which I really enjoyed last season of Clone Wars. But it's the live action stuff, which is really I think really kind of glued and cemented me to Disney Plus. So but Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, Obi Wan Kenobi, and Andor. And just for a moment, if if anybody has not seen Andor, uh, pause the podcast and just go watch the whole thing. It is. <laughs> It is fantastic. So that would be uh, that would be my answer. And then from all the from all the the uh, the in all the future stuff that they will produce, all things Star Wars. How about uh, Eric? How about you? Well, we'll just stay on this uh, this content train here. Uh, Disney <laughs> purchased Marvel back in two thousand nine, and I think we all remember. I mean, Iron Man three, and it, you know, it took a little while to get things kind of rolling. I mean. We had Thor the Dark World, so yeah, you know. <laughs> Not all of this was, was really super popular, but then Phase 2 started. And, no, that, that sorry, that was Phase 2, so not, not the most beloved movies. Phase 3 hits, and that's about 10 years ago, and suddenly you have three solid years of the most popular and profitable Marvel films yet. 
uh, we had this this national fervor. Like this was the height of all of the superhero stuff that everybody wanted to emulate. When you showed what you could really do with a shared universe, and suddenly you had this massive success of Endgame and Infinity War before it. Just everybody saw those movies, and it, they even Marvel hasn't been able to follow up on the success of that yet. Uh, so they're still generating interest and income with what's been going on. And um, I'm really excited about what's going to be coming in the next few years with, with the next few phases of, of Marvel. So looking forward to that. Well, and it's very difficult to do, right? Cause you look at DC, DC's tried to emulate Marvel. DC has some great characters. DC has Batman. DC has Wonder <laughs> Woman. You'd think that DC would be able to create a universe like Disney has done with Marvel, but for one reason or another, they just haven't hit that magic. And uh, I kind of hope they do, because like I said, they do have some good characters. I think they just have to find their Kevin Feige or their, you know, their their person, their creative person that that spearheads and leads the way and kind of brings everybody under the same umbrella, because I think there's too many directors and stuff that want to do things all their own ways all the yeah they got to plug away at it and that's that's it like marvel wasn't scared to put out something like Ant- ant-man when they had had a whole bunch of really popular successful movies and then a bunch of people said ant-man i don't want to see ant-man and then ant-man became kind of a sleeper hit and people went back in some cases they had to go back and see ant-man they're like wait this is this is actually really fun and they were they weren't afraid to say this is a heist a, a comedy heist movie like, let's mix some extra genres in there and let's not have everything be this massive mega hit. But yeah, it, it's DC just doesn't they haven't found the formula yet. And they've got so many characters and they're they're still obsessed with the, the big ones and putting all this weight on top of another Batman movie. Like, OK, come on. But yeah, I think that's I'm sorry, I was gonna, but I think that's where James Gunn comes in. Right. Like he made a movie about a tree and a raccoon and Space Wars. <laughs> And made a wildly popular movie. When I remember when they announced it, I read some Guardians of the Galaxy when I was younger. And uh, I was like, okay, uh, sure, why not? Like, it's not, it's not, I'm still waiting for X-Men. That's cool. But uh, it was great. And so I think he'll do, I think he will serve the Feige role. And I hope he's successful, like you were saying, Take Like, I, you'd like, you'd like for there to be more content out there. There are some really good characters and good stories to tell for sure. Yeah, I think history tells us from from looking at the comic realm, you know, the the two companies do best when they're both doing well, not when one is is more successful than the other. You know, so I think that'll it'll be exciting, and maybe I have a vested interest in the MCU. Maybe uh, after a previously mentioned thing, but <laughs> this is a very secretive podcast, everybody. But but one of the things I think that makes the Marvel film so great is they don't really take themselves too seriously. Look at, look at some of the Thor movies. The Thor movies got good when they just made fun of themselves. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Guardians is all about making fun of themselves. So I don't know if anybody's watched the Christmas special or the holiday special, but oh, yeah. man, that was hilarious. Cause it just, they just kind of made fun of themselves with everything. And even back to Iron Man, you, you had that kind of with Tony Stark, there was just kind of, there was a lot of humor with it. And I feel like DC doesn't really do the humor. They're just trying to play it like the straight man. And I feel like the reason that these work is because even if you don't like comic books or like the characters, if you bring someone with you that is interested in that, you can still get enjoyment out of the jokes, right? right? You don't have to know all the backstory. So I think they need to come up with something like that. But anyway, I apologize for taking us so off track. There. No, <laughs> no, not a problem. Because that wraps up our first question. So, Ryan, uh, what what do you have for us next? 
Yeah. So uh, I apologize in advance, uh, listeners. This is a <laughs> this is a a lengthy one. So uh, buckle in. So it, let's imagine a world where Westcott, the old idea of building an Epcot on the West Coast, is being built. Let's imagine we have unlimited land to figure that out. What is one fictional and one real country that you would want to build a World Showcase Pavilion for? I would think about, you know, maybe an attraction that might go in there, a restaurant or a store, possibly a festival booth that might fit in in your country. Let's pass it over to Tag for the first one. Oh man, your your thing could be a whole episode. Like we could just expand <laughs> this out to a whole episode. Um, your question was the most like, oh my goodness, how am I going to answer this? Because you're yeah, not only are you asking like even just one pavilion, but you're asking for a fictional and a real country. So it's like, oh man, now you're asking for two. So I think fictional. I couldn't really think of anything creative. I'm sure somebody else will think of something more creative than I will. But maybe like Zootopia because. They've already kind of built something like that. I like the idea of having, you know, because it's fictional, right? It can't be something real. I'm not really a huge Frozen fan. I don't want to see an Arendelle or anything like that. So like a Zootopia, I think would be cool. I, you know, an attraction you could have. I mean, there's lots of different attractions. They have a lot of cool stuff in that city that looks real futuristic. So you could do a lot of stuff with that for a restaurant or a store or festival booth. I mean, you could get really playful, like, like, tokyo does with disney food and make make food like just look different and, and, yeah. and you know galaxy's edge kind of does this too it looks really you know foreign and 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 exotic but it's just normal stuff that just looks cool and i think that'd be really awesome for real world i know we already have a world showcase pavilion of japan but i want to see the fun neon crazy fun side of japan that you hear about you know they've got all the vending machines you can get like anything out of a vending machine and you got anime and all these like bright neon lights and i'm kind of thinking of like uh you know like you see in like anime and stuff like that and when i think of tokyo and i think of japan i think of that more than i think of the traditional reserved you know old old school traditional kind of stuff that they that they normally go for so i think it'd be really fun to see a pavilion that's just a ton of neon you know maybe you go in and your restaurant is vending machines that you get everything out of and it doesn't even have to be a real vending machine it could be a machine that like you order and they cook it in the back but it comes out like the little drawer at the bottom or something Uh, something like that you know, again, you could do like a high speed bullet train and have some type of storyline going. I don't know. There's all types of options there. Love it. I'd love to see that. David, what about you? That's great. Yeah, I uh, this I saw this question and uh, I was like, oh, man, I got some homework to do here um, for <laughs> for my my fictional land. I think there's an ease. There's an obvious choice to to create a Wakanda. Um, I think that uh, the Black Panther movies have been great, well received. And I think it would be kind of a cool way to kind of just let Imagineers run wild with like attractions and restaurants, food festivals and so forth. You know, I envision you could take a train ride, which takes you around the land. So you get to see Wakanda up close, you know, you could, you know, you could pay close attention and looking for the hidden Bucky, you know, where you try to find the winter soldier kind of hidden somewhere along the way. Uh, you could do uh, like uh, Shuri's lab, which would be a cool attraction, which would be centered on technology and, environmental sustainability and other things. And then like a, a, the other thing that occurred to me is like, be really cool to have like a light show about the history of black Panther. So that was my idea for a fictional land. I mean, uh, Imagineers can you could bring in from the movies and from the comic books and so forth. I think it'd be really, really well received as far as my 
answer for a real country. So again, I've never been to Disney World, Walt Disney World. So I've not been to Epcot, but I know that there are three continents that are not represented. So I figured I would pick one and pay tribute. And so I chose South America. South America is not a country, I realize, but I'm going to, there, there are a few properties that, uh, that are prominent in Disney IP, which I thought might be kind of fun. So the first thing would be my ride. So my ride would be the up ride from the from the Pixar film. Uh, the inspiration is coming from Carl and Ellie. They're looking to retire in Paradise Falls. And Paradise Falls is based on Angel Falls in Venezuela. So I envision a ride where you the queue is basically you're inside their house and you see their pictures and so forth. And at the end, you, there's an actual ride, which, you know, I'm imagining some sort of like balloon or gondola where people some sort of people in the road, which take you up and over Paradise Falls. You know, you could do you could do a virtual, you know, soaring over type ride, but I think it'd be it'd be cooler to have an actual up and override. It w- would not be as impactful because I think that the actual falls is like 900 meters in the air and that poses a lot of risk. The store for me would be based on Encanto, which is based in Colombia. So you would sell like Encanto themed merchandise, of course. You would have like Colombian treats and beverages. Uh, there's a really good food with Cararepa, which is a, it's made out of ground maize dough and you could stuff it with filling. It's really tasty. But the, the, the draw from the store would be, in my mind, I was thinking, hey, you could be cool if you could make your own Encanto Miracle Candle, which could be like the Pixar version of Savi's workshop. Make your own oh, candle, cool. which I thought would be kind of cool. This kind of lit vessel and it contains the miracle that blessed the family in the, in the movie. And then as far as like the festival booth, I believe there's a festival booth in Epcot for Brazil. And so I love Brazilian food. There's a Brazilian cheese bread. I will probably mispronounce it, but it's, I think it's pronounced uh, Pau de de Queijo. And then there's, um, which is like a Brazilian cheese bread, which is really good. And then there's, uh, there is also a Fajau Ida, uh, which is like a black beans with like a pork belly and white rice. And that's really good. And then I've topped it off with a, with a Brazilian black lager. And that would be my, that would be my real world. I'm again, kind of cheated a little bit and lumped together in three countries. (laughs) Uh, David, (laughs) sign me up. This all sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm really hungry. So, uh, so anyway, so with that, how about, um, how about you, Eric? What would, what is your, what is your fictional and what is your real country you want to build in Westcott? Well, I'm going to go to the darker side of Marvel and we're just going to, we haven't seen too much. Well, we, we did get some Fantastic Four. So the door's open. We're going to Latveria, the home of Dr. Doom. And, um, we're going to have a, an Indiana Jones style ride there where you've we, dr doom is throwing open the doors to his castle for for visitors he's tr- trying to encourage tourism to <laughs> latveria and of course it goes horribly wrong and um you've got plenty of greatest great effects throughout the ride and the the car's moving around because he's attacking you with his magic and his his doom bots are going haywire maybe that's it the doom bots go haywire and he's he is trying to help because he's sometimes an anti-hero but uh, in the end the fantastic four come in and save you all and everything's happy I think that would be that would That'd be, be awesome. pretty great. That would be great. And then if you wanted a if you wanted a restaurant, you could really create. I mean, it's a, a an Eastern. It's a fictional Eastern European country, so you could get some you could get some Eastern European uh, food around there. Uh, and and sure, why not? Um, <laughs> base base some some dishes off of a few different countries. Now for for real, I'd go to Australia. Because the Australia kiosk at the Epcot Food and Wine Festival is always popular. The main attraction here in Australia would be 
would be a steakhouse that also features as their specialty a larger version of the rack of lamb that you get at the festival booth. At the, the festival, you just get one little one little hunk of lamb that is covered with uh, crushed potato chips and it comes with some mint sauce. Um, but you'd get the whole rack of lamb there. That would be that would be fantastic. So. Yeah, another another opportunity for a steakhouse, and um, I think you'd you said steakhouse, and I thought you were going to say like outback, and I was like, oh, Australians <laughs> won't be happy with that. <laughs> well, you gotta you, you gotta bring the people in, but you know, show mm. them that that there are other foods that they can enjoy, um, <laughs> with, other than outback their their Blooming salty onion. salty steak and chicken on the barbie. <laughs> I mean that stuff. Yeah, no blooming onion. No blooming no onion. Blooming onion. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> um, they'll have a big stage where they do a lot of live music. You can have plenty of uh, of good shows, including um, a lot of shows that feature the various Aboriginal cultures of Australia and New Zealand. So you get a little cultural experience there too. All right, Ryan. This was yes. your. You opened this door. Let's see you step through it. <laughs> yes. Wow. So quick spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen Black Panther 2. My my fictional country will dive into some spoiler territory there. So, yeah, you might want to skip ahead if, you, if you're waiting on that. But so they established that Namor, who is the primary villain of Black Panther 2, was they changed his his history a little bit from the comics and they placed his origins in a underwater kingdom called Talokan Mesoamerican like Mayan um and some Aztec influence beautiful beautiful underwater city so in, in this you know I I imagine the the main like ride using the 20,000 leagues under the sea from Tokyo Disney Sea ride vehicles. So they're kind of these capsules that have like windows that that look out through a thin film of water into a dark ride, into a dry dark ride. So it's kind of like our our submarines in Disneyland, but not the maintenance and it's easier it to maintain for sure. Yeah. <laughs> easier to maintain. And you can do a lot more, right? With with not worrying about water, you can do a lot more things. Uh so I'm uh, imagining kind of a, a submarine ride through through Talokan. I, I think that would be really cool. Obviously it would go haywire at some point, you know, Namorita is gonna get frustrated that visitors are there or or something along those lines. I think there there's probably like a above ground cultural exchange type of market that that would be like your your sort of shop, right? The the movie sort of ends with Namor realizing that the land above water isn't so bad, and so this would be set after that. So you know maybe he's bringing sort of the Mesoamerican inspired goodies out and selling them there. Uh, you could partner with actual indigenous folks from those areas to you know get some authentic pieces and do some really cool support there and then the brian yes can i suggest a name for your ride sure finding namor submarine ride (laughs) i love it i love it Hmm. i love it (laughs) and then yeah your your food booth there is going to be uh the it would be during the flower and garden festival and it would feature the 
fictional and i don't remember what the what Kalo Khan called it but it was their version of the heart-shaped herb which is what mm. gives the black panther his powers and then in turn it, it gives the folks of Kalo Khan the ability to live underwater so kind of a, a like i say playing on the the flower and garden there and bringing that in for the real country i think one of the things that, that has always interested me about the idea of westcott is moving away from the European countries because we're on the other side of the country, right? We're on the West coast. There's a lot of other options that are a lot easier to do because you're a lot closer. So the idea I had was a, uh, a South Korea pavilion. And, and with that, my, my attraction, my, I will admit my attraction was the afterthought of this one, but I think K-pop is hugely popular. So I think it'd be really cool to do like a, a, a 4d kind of movie experience uh, that, that is, you know, a BTS concert or some insert kit popular K-pop band here that, that Disney might have on retainer that that would be really cool to, to see them kind of come in for the restaurant. I, I, I mean, Korean barbecue is, is really cool. It's really up and coming, particularly in the LA area. And there's actually a, a chef that I I uh, follow pretty closely uh, called David Chang. And, and I say that like nobody knows who he is. He has like several shows on Hulu and stuff. So, <laughs> yes, he's on a Disney retainer and they'll, they'll just pull him over from Hulu. And then for the festival booth, I would go with some with the festival, uh, a booth during the Festival of the Arts. Uh, or farts, as I like to call it, <laughs> that would be uh, the Gangnam District and their street food. So like think the crazy corn dogs that you sometimes see, like rolled in French fries or uh, the mandu dumplings um, or the little fish waffles filled with red bean paste. And then like kind of the the street art style of the of the Gangnam District kind of around it kind of again youthful and and that's i kind of liked i really liked your idea take the i guess more modern more bright side of some of those southeast asian countries kind of coming to the forefront would be really cool well believe it or not folks we're only halfway through this episode so it is time for us to take a little bit of, a little bit of half time here get our get our wits about us after all <laughs> of that and uh maybe maybe get a drink of water or something like that but i want to talk to you about something that's very important to us which is of course your support if you would like to support the hub crawl and keep episodes coming you can go to the hubcrawl.com slash support and for as little as five dollars a month you can support the podcast and uh like this week uh we re- we record on a wednesday and today we actually posted our episode early for supporters. The episode will go live for the general public on Friday. So you get that a couple days early. You could suggest questions for us. Maybe even in the future, we haven't quite figured this out out yet, but maybe in the future you can be a guest on the Hub Crawl. So if you want to do that, head on over to the hubcrawl.com slash support. Uh, we thank everybody who does support us now and uh, who can consider support. I know with the holidays and inflation and everything, it might be a little difficult, but uh, you know, come January, February, March, you know, April, you know, tax time, you can get a little refund. Uh, just throw a little our way if you enjoy the show. <laughs> All right. Time to get back to these questions. Teg, kick us back off here. All right. Mine's maybe a little shorter than the last two. Let's find <laughs> out. Technology, obviously, is very important nowadays when you're visiting a Disney park. Of course, we've got Lightning Lane. We've got GD Plus. We have reservations. We have dining reservations. We have mobile ordering. We have mobile checkout, like all of these different things. What I would like to know is 
would you like it if the parks went back to the Stone Age and got rid of all that stuff and just had standby lines and interactions with cast members and whatnot? David, what do you think? It's uh, it's hard to remember going to the parks with that technology. I don't. I, I was struggling to think when, like, when technology first started entering the parks. I mean, it might have been around two thousand eight. I think maybe with like the first mobile app. But but you know, when I read the question, my first thought was like, you know. Technology makes everything easier. I don't have to physically grab fast passes anymore. I can mobile order food. I can check wait times. And and then as I thought about it, like actually the technical the technology simply makes it more efficient for Disney to operate the parks. It doesn't actually make it more enjoyable necessarily for me. Right. You know, I tend to spend way too much time looking at my phone you know, looking at wait times, you know, checking menus and so forth. And, and I am and not enough time, just like taking in the sights and sounds of the park, talking to other people online, talking to cast members and just kind of absorbing it all, if you will. Um, I can also empathize with those who didn't grow up with smartphones and have difficulty with the Disney app. I think most people would say the Disney app is really uh, tricky and challenging to work with. So I would, I would, I would probably prefer to be less reliant on technology to, to experience the parks, but I also realize it's, it's difficult to completely reverse course at this time. So what I wouldn't mind seeing them do is just maybe like once a month, just having like a retro Wednesday, which harkens back to the pre Disney app days. There's no, the, the, the Disney app doesn't work everything. There's no mobile ordering, there's, there's no reservations. You buy a ticket, you go in, and you just enjoy the park. Do it on a Wednesday, perhaps, or, or another kind of slow day in the middle of the week. And then just just gauge the gauge the, the experience and the enjoyment and just really kind of enjoy. You know, I, I enjoy standing in lines. I like looking at things. But but I'm invariably looking at my phone the whole time and not taking it in. So I don't know. What about uh, what about you, Eric? Eric, you are the unofficial, my unofficial IT technical person that I go to, what's your opinion on, on technology in the parks? I don't know. I don't know why I'm the IT person. Because <laughs> you answer my texts. That's why. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> that's the problem. Well, I, I don't mind all of the tech. Like David said, if you're, if you're, if you're conscious about it and you, you make an effort not to fully dive into your phone, then it's it's not too bad. But I think my ideal time was when you would plan ahead and kind of set it and forget it. The early days of of Magic Band, I'm thinking of, like my wife and I were went during a time where they were still kind of beta testing Magic Bands. Not everybody had them yet. And it was nice to do the My Magic Plus, and although they didn't call it then at the time, and I can't quite remember what they did call it, but you you picked your your fast passes ahead of time, and it was before everybody had to, and it was just this mad rush to get things. So it was just kind of a casual, like, yeah, okay, well, let's go Space Mountain, and then um, Peter Pan, and okay, that's that seems good. And you set everything up before you got there, or you could do it from your from your room the night before, whatever. And you could get some dining reservations. And then you kind of just, you had your itinerary. Maybe you'd look that up once in a while. But everything was just there on your magic band. You didn't have to look at the app during the day to make changes. If you had to make changes, not everybody even had smartphones back then. This is like 2010, 2012. And they had all these kiosks around the park where you could go up and a cast member would help you to find out, you know, what you currently had and you you tap your magic band and they'd say, "Okay, well, here's what you have for today. Here's your itinerary. Let's let's see about moving this around. I know you want to eat at, 
at Tepan Edo. Okay, well, here, let's get you some reservations for 8 p.m. And it was... It, it was a lot more relaxed and cast members were pretty in, engaged in it. And you really just had to remember those few things th- for the day and then just kind of go around and everything was there. You even had your credit cards. Well, you, I mean, you still have your credit cards and everything on your magic band, but you didn't have to constantly be obsessed with making changes on the fly because you probably got most of the stuff you wanted to begin with. And my goodness, you could even walk up to a restaurant during the day and get in a standby line and probably eat there the same day. <laughs> So, yeah, that was kind of that that's kind of my ideal, maybe not back to Stone Age, but that's my ideal um, tech time where it was still pretty relaxed, even though you got a lot of the modern conveniences. Ryan, you're you're another tech head here. <laughs> what, what, what do you have? Yeah, I, I certainly am a tech head. And I, and I would say, like, in Disney parks, I think I enjoy some of the tech pieces that maybe go underutilized or go missed by a lot of folks um and so so losing those would be would be heartbreaking to me uh i think of like some of the the magic bands that have the limited edition special effects right like that's really cool tech to me or like the play the play disney or play disney parks app um and and particularly the the way it works in galaxy's edge and the storytelling kind of done through that i i'm i am a really really big fan of that stuff and so I, I don't think I, I, I would agree kind of with what, with your assessment, Eric, of like, you know, definitely not not Stone Age. I do think right now um, with the way that the apps are designed, whether it be load time, number of clicks or or the go dot com back backbone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and like having to jump out of the app to get to other things, it. It forces you to, if if you are going to engage with the technology, you have to, you have to do it at the cost of, I'll call it real world engagement, right? If you're going to engage with the technology, it doesn't enhance, it, it dominates and consumes the experience instead. And so I think, I think like my, my ideal world again, is not the stone age, uh, but uh, it, it, it's a maybe a future state where they they kind of focus on making the apps seamlessly work with your day instead of taking over your day. One thing that you brought up, Eric, in passing that I don't know why it drives me crazy, but oh my gosh, you go to Disneyland.com and it refers you to Disneyland.disney.go.com. It's like, let it go, people. <laughs> Migrate off of go.com. Stop trying to make go.com happen. It's not going to happen. I just, you're talking about the app usability. One of the things that drives me crazy, I have my Disneyland app uh, that I'm in right now. And if I go into make a park reservation and I click my make a park reservation button, it like knocks me out of the app to the browser and loads up. Like, why does do I have to go to a web browser web page and relog in? Why is this not built into the app? And in talking with some people who kind of understand for one reason or other, kind of the back end, what we don't realize as consumers is a lot of the technology that it has to interact with is really old. And so a lot of the functionality that we think is clunky and weird is because to have that functionality at all, it needs to integrate with these older systems that I think all of us would would be terrified of if we knew how old they were. <laughs> but for me, I remember when I was younger, before smartphones, what the experience was like. And do I think that there are things today that make it nice? Do I like I like mobile ordering when it works correctly. And what I mean by that is Jolly Holiday. Great example. 
I've never had a problem with Jolly Holiday. I order my food. It gives me a window. I show up. It does. It's not a very long wait. Boom, your food's there. Golden. As opposed to Alien Pizza Planet, where you order and then you go in and it's just a mess. And I don't, I don't understand how one park you could have such totally opposite degrees of the same system working in two completely different ways. But whatever. For me, such an old man, stand by all the way. I don't need Genie Plus. I don't need Lightning Lane. I don't need Fast Pass. Standby is great, and you move at a decent pace if you don't have, like, people don't like standby now because you've got, they let in, like, 800 people and then, like, one standby person and then, like, 800 people and then one standby person. Let me buy a ticket. Enter whenever. Like, what's the deal with the reservations? I'm, I'm frustrated with that. I feel bad for people who have not been recently or don't pay as close attention as we all do, who they just want to drive to Anaheim or Orlando and buy a ticket and go in that day and... If you don't have a reservation and there's none available, you can't do that, which I think is silly. You know, when it talks, to, when it comes to food and ch- checkout and everything, let me talk to a cast member. What makes Disney so magical is the cast members. And so let me talk to them to order my food and get their recommendation or talk to them about something. Let me go and check out with them at the Emporium because, like, I love hearing the cast members talk about things where. It's just, you know, everybody's so on their phone. And, and like you were saying, David, that most people don't talk to anybody in the line anymore because they're all just staring at their phones. But it was so nice to, you know, you're all stuck in this line together to turn around and just, you know, comment on something of, of the guest behind you or the guest in front of you. and Or even one row over in your switchback that you keep randomly running into as you switch back and forth. It's kind of funny. And I just feel like people aren't seeing what makes Disney parks disney parks anymore because the imagineers spend all this time and energy put all these details in and nobody's seeing it because they're walking around trying to get their next reservation on their phone and they're not taking it in so i just i could do without all of it i love technology i just think that they've gone too far like there's a balance to be had and we have gone way past that so well that was another great round of discussion now we move on to our last question from david thanks Hank. so uh my question was, let's assume that Disneyland has announced or uh, that it will permit the sale of alcohol at a new location in the park. I think it was 2021 where they allowed the sale of alcohol Blue Bayou. So we're talking about adding uh, adult beverages to an existing restaurant or an attraction, or it could be a brand new themed restaurant, which which serves food and alcohol. So, But no, no beer carts, no mobile alcohol sales. So describe your establishment. Where is it located? How is it themed? And what is your signature adult beverage? Let's start with Eric. All right. This is a great thought experiment at a time when I'm not, when I'm not drinking at all. So <laughs> thanks, David. Sorry. Uh, it's okay. So I thought immediately of Carnation Cafe or perhaps the Plaza at Disney World. The, the, old, the old hometown towny vibe uh, is perfect for a drink that I would call Grandpa's Tipple. It's a small shot of whatever you want in whatever you want. Um, It's delivered in dramatic fashion by one of your cast members or even Grandpa himself. They could have a cast member playing Grandpa who just sidles up to the to the table. The server brings your normal drink. So say it's it's a, you know, rum and Coke. They put your Coke down and then Grandpa sneaks up off to the side and and holds his hand in front of the the, a, a little flask. So the rest of the table can't see. And he goes, shh. And he. He hides the drink as he pours something into your into your regular drink, and he goes, "Don't tell your mother." And then he walks away. 
That's Grandpa's tipple. <laughs> that sounds like something from 50s Primetime Cafe. <laughs> You're right. That would work there, too. Uh, Ryan, what do you have? Yeah, so something I have advocated for the idea of is using the people mover in interesting ways. So since this was based on Disneyland, this would require reopening the people mover, which we all know would be a largely popular decision. (laughs) And I think that you reopen it and you allow people to ride on it and enjoy beverages of choice uh, as they ride around or, and food too. I think, uh, you know, just go with a retro future theme that might require kind of overlaying all of, Tomorrowland and making it the future that will never come. But the signature beverage that I would put at this location would be a, a multi-person like fishbowl style punch bowl. So think, uh, oh, I forget what the one in Trader Sam's is called now, but that uh, I think that served in like the Nautilus. But um, oh, well, that would be the Nautilus at, <laughs> on the East Coast, like the Aoa. Yes. yes. Oh, uh, thank you. Okay. Thank you. It, but instead, the, the glass would be um, a moon shaped to kind of meet meet that retro future. We're going to the moon type of vibe. And uh, it, it would have to come with its own mount or stand to kind of like attach it somehow to the, the people mover cart so it didn't spill mid ride. But I, I think, you know, the people mover slow enough moving that that there's actually a lot of opportunity there to, you know, even in Disney world, I've always said, send people out on the people mover and park them to watch fireworks, like make that a Mm -hmm. premium fireworks viewing Mm -hmm. position. But I I think, uh, I think that would be really cool. Just uh, kick back and ride the people mover while you enjoy your adult beverage. Yeah. The the challenge with building incorporate into an attraction is that there's only a handful that you can really do it on. So you're talking people mover, Jungle Cruise, Small World, but like <laughs> Big Thunder, like it's not happening. Like, you know, the, so what you got for us, Ted? You know, pirates, man. Put it on Pirates of the Caribbean. That's it's really themed. <laughs> man, these two questions for this half of the show, I feel like old man Bushman waving at the <laughs> waving his fist at the cloud. In general, I'd say I wrote I wrote in our document. I'm with Walt. I wouldn't. Alcohol. Not important in the slightest to me. I would rather be around sober people in my happy place. I ran into some really inebriated, annoying, ridiculous folks in Epcot, and I was like, yeah, this is why we don't put booze in a theme park. This is just obnoxious. And I've heard so many people talk about, oh, you're drinking your way around World Showcase. And I'm just like, I don't know. There's cheaper places to go get drunk than a Disney theme park. It also doesn't help that like my my middle older brother you know, has alcoholism problems and stuff like that. But I don't have problems with people drinking. I just don't like there's plenty of places you can drink. Why does there have to be another place in Disneyland or Disney World? Go to one of the resort hotels and have an experience or something over there. Old man Bushman <laughs> shaking his fist. Uh, David, what about you? No, no worries. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree that like Disneyland just has a different vibe and feel than DCA. And so I, I can't imagine there there will ever be any sort of like mobile beer or alcohol option. And I also agree that the, you know, being around like a drunken, unruly crowd, it just kind of diminishes and kind of 
takes away, if you will, and and, and certainly don't want it to be kind of the, the focus, if you will. I do think there are points in time where, you know, it's hot, wouldn't mind, you know, wouldn't mind having an adult beverage somewhere. There, it is in a couple places in the park already, but, you know, I envisioned something that was kind of fairly limited and something would be kind of monitored. So something kind of like Ogus Cantina to kind of to really kind of, you know, not necessarily cut people off, but to really kind of, you know, make it an event, but also to kind of uh, keep avoid having that that experience that you were talking about. Take my answer really depends on how much Disney would be willing to pay for like refurbishments and theming. Assuming that the, the zero budget, then I would update the menu at the Tropical Hideaway, which is behind the Tiki Room, and then just convert it into a tiki bar. There's lots of space. It's kind of a cool spot. I think it was the old Aladdin's attraction years ago, and it would be a, a kind of a, a a nice spot to kind of take a break. And that kind of mid afternoon time frame when when people people need to you know get out of out of the lines or out of the out of the sun if you will. My signature drink there would be the Dole Sip, which would be a rum based take on the classic Dole Whip. But if I had some money, then I'm going to go big and I'm going to convert part of Tom Sawyer Island into a pirate themed bar. And you you, you know I would call it the Sunken Gallon and a ba- uh, galleon, I should say. And you know you would take the sailing ship Columbia or the March River Riverboat over, or you could I guess take canoes, and you would go around land land at the uh, land at the Pirate Cove, and you know it would kind of harken back. My thinking was it kind of harkens back to the old if people remember the old Chicken of the Sea pirate ship and restaurant that Diz used to have way back when. To kind of bring that back. And then in my mind, the drink would be, you know, you'd have to call it the Captain Jack. You're kind of obligated to do so, which would be, mm. you know, rum and pineapple and lime juice and some other stuff. So that's what I what what I'd envisioned. You know, you could, I mean, if you want to go wild, you could have, you know, a mint julep on the Mark Twain River boat, or you could have um a rum-based cocktail on I'm sorry, rum-based cocktail on the Mark Twain or the uh, a mint julep on the sailing ship Columbia, but I, you know, that, that might be a little bit too much, I think for folks, but I think just having that uh, sailing ship kind of tucked away at the back, which you can see from the railroad as you go around the, that one end of the park would be kind of cool. So, and then to limit uh, intoxication back into the park, you have to take the canoes back, right? Yes. Swim back. I want to say, I want to make a plug for the canoes on this show because I love the canoes. Uh, Oh yeah. The the cast members running the canoes, it's it's as entertaining as the Jungle Cruise. And when I rode the canoes years ago, it I don't remember it being that way, but now they're very funny. They're very kind of, I don't know, it's that kind of I don't know. It's that kind of humor, it makes it a lot of fun. So now we make it a cho- make it a, a point to try to ride the canoes at least every other trip, if not every trip we try to ride the canoes. So, I highly recommend folks ride the canoes. All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode of The Hub Crawl. We'd like to thank our guests, David. Thanks for having me. I had a great time as always. And Ryan. Thanks, guys. It was a blast. Join us next time, everybody, where we continue to talk all things Disney. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody.